This is the day, Sunday after Easter. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection, but what we need to remember today is the message that these children gave to us, and that is uh, that while the tomb is still empty, the resurrection and Jesus are both fully alive. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be fully alive with a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God. Uh, many years ago, one of the early church fathers, St. Arrhenius, wrote these words and said, The glory of God is a human being fully alive. See, that's what God wants us to be. And the glory of God is a human being like you and like me who's fully alive. And we are fully alive when we are in Christ and we've experienced the resurrection and that we've become very passionate about it. If you've been keeping up with uh, March Madness with the basketball games going on, you'll know that tomorrow night, uh, Villanova will square off against uh, North Carolina in the men's competition and um, Crown won as the national champion. The women's tournament is going like this. The day, I believe it is, that UConn and uh, Oregon State will play this afternoon. And then later on, I think Syracuse and Washington play. And the winner of those two games will square off Tuesday night for the women's national championship. Now, if you've watched those basketball games, or if you've watched any team sport, or if you're a fan of any team, then you know that at game time, people get all kind of excited. They're jumping up and down. They're laughing. They're clapping. Uh, they're high-fiving. Perfect strangers hug one another. They've never seen each other before, probably never see each other again. And you know that American fans go crazy over their favorite team. You know, we, we laugh and we celebrate when we win. We cry when we lose. And everybody thinks it's normal what we do because it's just being a fan. But I think if we take that same attitude and bring it in here to the house of worship, what would we be called? We'd be called a fanatic. Now, the issue is passion. And passion uh, has more than one way to be displayed. It's not just how loud you can shout and how high you can jump, but it's how deeply you can be committed. And passion is a big deal in America. It sells most everything, and it's the driving influence behind everything that we like, from movies to soap operas to books. In fact, if you do a search on Amazon.com, you can find hundreds of books with the word passion in the title. Some of them go like this, a passion for alligators, a passion for artichokes. Can you imagine that? A passion for birds, a passion for castles. Now, a passion for chocolate, we can all understand that one. A passion for fashion, that one even rhymes. A passion for fly fishing, a passion for flying, a passion for gardening, a passion for golf. Somebody finally got one right. A passion for hang gliding, a passion for hunting, and a passion for jazz, needlepoint, pizzas, ponies, potatoes, reading, a passion for shoes. And it goes on and on and on. We are Americans who are driven by a passion. And it seems okay as long as that's in every other area of our life except in our area of religion or faith or Christianity. And what we should have is that passion for God, a deep commitment, an abiding love in Him that drives the meaning and purpose of our life. I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Mark 12 today, and then later on we'll look at Galatians 2.20. 
Uh, but this is a section in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, when Jesus is described, asked to, dis- to find the greatest commandment, and this is what he says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said this, there is no commandment greater than these. Now, how do we know Jesus is talking about passion here, a passionate love? Notice how he uses the word all. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's how we're to love God. And then to love our neighbor as ourself. I think in essence, what these commandments say is we're to love God, to serve God, and then we're to love and serve people, and we're to do it all with a passion. Now, let me ask you a simple question. What would you consider to be the greatest sin for a a believer, a follower of Christ that you might find in the Bible? What do you think would be the greatest sin for a believer? For you, if you follow Christ, what would it be the greatest sin? Some of you might say murder. You might say stealing, lying, adultery, bearing false witness. You know, not giving God the time that he asked for, robbing from God. And the list would go on and on and on. Here's what I think the greatest sin is for us as a believer in Christ. And it's found in the answer that Jesus talks about here to church in Revelation. And when he's writing to the seven churches... And this is what he says to a particular church. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is talking about the fact that they were lukewarm. They were neither cold nor they were hot. His preference is that they would be hot with passion. That they would be on fire for God. His next desire would be they'd rather, he'd rather have them cold than to be lukewarm. Because they're cold, he can heat them up. But lukewarm, nobody likes that. It's a tepid taste. You know, if you get about halfway through a cup of coffee and you get distracted, and then you come back to it and then it's, and it's cold or halfway cold, lukewarm, you're going to do something to it. You're going to pour it out, start all over again, or you're going to put it in the microwave and nuke it a little bit and get it hot. That's the way we like our coffee, unless you're going to buy an iced coffee. You know? So, so, God wants us to be passionate about his kingdom and our love for him. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis, a prolific uh, writer, Englishman who came to know Christ later on in life, said this, the only thing uh, Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It is either ridiculous or it's the most important thing in the world. I have a great fear that for a lot of us, Christianity, our faith, has become of moderate importance for us. Moderate importance. See, the greatest sin is being disinterested in God and apathetic about His Word. Many years ago, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, warned us what was coming, and I think we see that it's here now. 
Because he looked into the future and this is what he said. The chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I think we see that in our culture today. I do. And it's alarming to me. Christian faith has just become kind of moderately important to us. And we're supposed to be passionate about it. You see, passion is important because passionate people are world changers. I mean, you can look all the way through history and see that. Um, I did a little search. I just simply typed in passionate world changers in, in search engine. And one of the sites that immediately took me to was called um, biographyonline.net. And it gave me a list of what this group considered to be the 100 people Top 100 people who changed the world. And the lead part of it was, here's the top 10 in their estimation. I was really shocked at who number one was. You want to take any guess as to who that might be? Who? Anybody say Jesus? I was surprised at that. I really was. But Jesus was listed as number one. Now, the rest of them, I'm kind of iffy on. Thomas Jefferson was number two. Mikhail Gorbachev was number three. Buddha, four. Winston Churchill was five. Shakespeare was six. Muhammad was seven. Martin Luther King was eight. Abraham Lincoln was nine. And Nelson Mandela was ten. The Apostle Paul was number 11. George Washington was 13. Martin Luther was 16. And I looked through this list several times. And the name that I would have thought surely would have been on there is not that I can find. And that's Billy Graham. Because to me, he has had a great moving force in changing the world. When thousands and thousands of people have come to know Christ at every crusade. And for me, Billy Graham has been the epitome of integrity for Christian faith. He's been an evangelist who had absolutely no dark blot upon his integrity. But it's interesting, isn't it, about those who they consider uh, to be world changers. Well, I think the bottom line is that passion energizes life. It's what makes you alive. And without that sense of passion... Life becomes dull, boring, drab, and routine. And that might be where you find yourself today in your Christian faith. You see, nothing great is ever done without passion. See, it's passion that drives scientists to find cures for terrible and dreaded diseases. It's passion that encourages and drives an athlete on to train and to break a record and to make the Olympic team. It's passion that motivates people to live for great causes. And it's passion that sustains you in reaching your goals as you go through life. It's a passionate love for Jesus and the kingdom of God, I believe. It's what drove these early disciples, and especially the the 11, uh, as they went out and they taught repentance. They taught forgiveness from sin. And they taught eternal life in Jesus to the world around them to the point that they were willing to die. And legend tells us that all of them died as a martyr for the faith except for John, exiled on the island of Patmos. They were passionate. Now the question comes then, what made that difference in their life? Why why did they become so passionate about the kingdom of God? And we see that it certainly wasn't moderately important in their life. See, if you haven't done so... I don't know where you are if you're going to read through the Bible plan. 
Mine hasn't taken me there yet, so I'm going to do it on my own. But this is a logical time now to read the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, because this is what follows exactly after the resurrection and then the ascension of Christ. As we've had that time on earth uh, for the disciples to get oriented to the fact that Jesus is still alive. He was dead, but he came back from the life, uh, from the dead, and then to hear what he had to say and taught them, and then the last words he gave to them. They took it to heart to go and baptize and teach and make disciples of all nations, and they were scattered as they did that. What drove them? What was their passion behind that? Well, I think that they came to experience the reality of the cross event, which later would be described in Galatians 2.20, and one of the great challenging verses, if you want to take up a life verse, is Galatians 2.20, because the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, those are powerful words to say, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live. I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. Now, think about that end result, and think about some of the stages I think that we all go through if we're going to be a believer in Christ. I think we go through some of these stages. Number one, we we discover that God is the creator of everything, everything in the universe, and everything that has been and will be. God is the creator of all that. Secondly, we learn that God is not only creator, but he is our Father in heaven, and he loves us. He created us to have a relationship with us, and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Then we come to the third step where we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven, and we have the promise of an eternal life in heaven. And I think most of us get to that point, and we're satisfied. That's safe. You know, we, we, we have made that decision, and we can check it off of our to-do list. You know, and our life goes. I want to make that decision, follow after Christ, become a believer. You check it off. But there's a fourth stage that I think that we need to go to, and that is we need to understand then when, when we come to know Christ, he puts the Holy Spirit in our life. And then Jesus lives in us, and he wants to live his life through mine. That's the essence of Galatians 2.20, and a life that's lived with passion for the kingdom of God. Now, how do we make these decisions? What's that process to become that passionate person about the kingdom of God? Well, I think Paul describes at least three things when when we break this great verse down. The first thing we have to do is you have to die to self. You have to die to self. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. And Jesus backed that up. In fact, he said them first. He had some rather outrageous statements about life and death as a believer because he said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul?" He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I think for most of us today, we see the cross displayed in jewelry and other forms like that, that the cross basically is just a piece of jewelry. You think about it, if we would take it and take that cross, which was an instrument of torture and death, and wear a piece of jewelry today, 
that would reflect that same thing, we would have an electric chair in solid gold on a, on a gold chain around our neck or wherever you wear your cross because that's what it was. Jesus was familiar with crucifixion long before he ever went to the cross because history tells us that sometimes the, the Romans would crucify 500 Israelites at the same time and put their crosses along the road and on a hillside where everybody could see it. And there's some speculation that maybe Jesus and his disciples were walking along one of those roads when he saw all those hundreds of people uh, being in agony on the cross. And Jesus would talk to them and say, if you want to follow after me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And what he was saying to them is, if you really want to follow after me and be a true disciple, then you have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to die to yourself. You see, a life of following Jesus is built on the foundation of denial of self. Self-denial is that process of becoming dead to selfish desires. And to our modern ears today, when we have been programmed for the last half century or more through every advertisement, whether it's on TV, radio, magazine, newspaper, or whatever, We have been driven to believe that everything that you want is there for you. Everything is for you. It's for you. After all, you deserve it. You deserve the best. You deserve luxury. You deserve accommodations. It's all for you. You only go around once in life. Get it now while you can. And a lot of us have bought into that. A lot of us have bought into that. And when you get us to talk about or think about dying to ourselves, it doesn't make sense. Because to die to ourself looks like a life of emptiness and loss. But when we have come to understand it in spiritual terms, the way that Jesus presented it, then dying to self lives to a life of joy and freedom. Now, how is that? Well, I don't make light of death at all because even if loved ones and friends that we know who have died and some of us in the church have, have had that to happen recently, You know, there's still a grieving process. And even though Jesus has taken the sting out of death through his resurrection, there there is still hurt and pain and and, and grief that we go through. But I want you to think about this. When somebody in the Lord, a a strong believer, dies, and we know where they are safely in the the arms of, of, of God in heaven, then we look at them and we say, okay, how do we compare that to dying to self and what does the joy and freedom that comes from that well when people are dead they aren't stressed out about life when people are dead they don't sin they don't steal they aren't enslaved to addictive behavior they aren't weighted down by worry they don't abandon their family they don't judge they don't criticize they don't condemn they're never jealous you see somehow dying to sin when we understand it correctly makes us want to be more alive than we are now. The Apostle Paul would also write in Romans six eleven and say, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When missionary James Calvert first approached the Fiji Islands, which were populated by cannibals, the captain of the ship begged Calvert to turn around and take everybody with him back to safety And he said to them, if you go, you and all those who are with you will die at the hands of these savages. And James Calvert looked at him and said, we died before we left. 
And the end result was they went on those islands and they led thousands to faith in Christ. So living with passion for the kingdom of God begins when we die to ourself. Then there's the second step I think that we find in Galatians 2.20 and it's this. That we have to allow Christ to live in you. You have to allow Christ to live in you. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's describing what we've come to know as the exchanged life. The exchanged life. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. And he made that term, the exchanged life, rather popular because of what happened in his life. For years, he struggled. And his ministry really was not profitable. It really came up with nothing but failure. And then he discovered the key to death to self and the power of the indwelling of Christ in his life. And he, when he made that total commitment, dying to self and letting Christ live through his life, his ministry took on amazing aspects and amazing things God did through him. Now, what does it look like for us today? Well, I would suggest to you that the exchange life is just simply this. That in your life, in mine, everybody's life, we have both a, a, a throne and we have a cross. If we're on the throne, then where does that leave Jesus? That puts him on the cross. But in our life, if we decide to let Jesus live through us, then Jesus is on the throne. And where does that put us? We're on the cross. And that means that we have chosen spiritually to die to ourselves and let Christ live in us. And to live out his life through us. That means we have to overcome ourselves. And that's one of the biggest problems we have. In fact, that's the root of sin, isn't it? The root of sin is self-centeredness. We want it our way. We want it to be selfish. We don't want God's way. We want our way. Trace it back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. They had everything that they could want with one stipulation. And that was the one thing that they had to have. And so they sinned against God. So think about these three words and what is the middle of letter of each of these words. What's the middle letter of the word sin? I. What's the middle letter of the word pride? I. What's the middle letter of the word guilt? I. See, I, we have a problem with ourself. It's the very center of all of our sin. It gets in our way. But if we truly want to be passionate about the kingdom of God, then, then we've got to do our best to say no to self and let Christ enter our life so that he can live that life. It makes sense, doesn't it? Can you live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived by yourself? No. Who best can live the Christian life the way that it's described here in the Bible? That's Jesus, the perfect Son of God. So why not let him live through your life? That's what makes absolute sense, isn't it? And we talked about this exchange life business when we die to self and let Christ live through us. Think about what you do in that exchange. You, you exchange your weakness for his strength. You exchange your ignorance for his wisdom. You exchange your prejudice for his love. You exchange your anger for his patience. And you exchange your inability for his ability. And see, our glorious confession of faith then should be, Christ lives in me. So we have to die to self, then let Christ live through us. Then the bottom line then, the third step is that then we live by faith, simply by faith. 
Paul went on to say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here we come down to the very essence of living with passion. We allow Jesus to live through us. None of us possesses the power or energy to live that life of passion on our own. But when we live by faith in Jesus who gave himself up for us, then we don't have to try living the Christian life anymore, but we allow Jesus to live it through us. And here's how it works. There's some steps, okay? Basically, this is how we come to our, through our, our Christian life. Step one, we repent of sin and we trust Jesus for salvation. And we say, oh, that's easy. And maybe we've made it too easy. All you have to do is pray this little prayer and just ask Jesus into your life. And I believe that that works, but sometimes I think maybe we've made it a little bit too easy without the, the, the teaching about what that really means to make a decision for Christ. So then we come to step two. And that's where we begin to learn some of the um, aspects of a disciple's life. To be disciplined in the spiritual virtues. And that's when we say, wow, this is difficult. This is tough. And that's true. That's where it starts to become difficult and challenging for us. Then we go to step three, and that is after trying to live like Jesus and failing miserably, we say, this is impossible. And we're absolutely right at that point. Now, again, some people stop there and they say, I can't do it. I've tried it. I can't live the Christian life. The roles of every church has no telling how many names of people who once were, were followers of Christ and they found out they couldn't live that life on their own. They didn't understand what it meant to die to self and have Christ living in them. And so we don't know where they are. They aren't serving God. They aren't active in church. They aren't living their faith. So that's why you have to make sure then you go to step four that says total faith and trust in Jesus is our only hope to live with passion for the kingdom of God. And that's when we say, wow, this is exciting. That's living with passion when we let Christ live through us. So we wrap this up today on the Sunday after Easter and we say we live a life of passion for the kingdom of God when we understand that Jesus lives in us. And as he lives in and through us then, he wants us to love God with all that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he wants us to love people. He wants us to serve people. He wants us to forgive people. And he wants us to encourage people as we let Jesus live through us. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through the power of the indwelling, risen Christ in our life. But when we commit ourselves to him and we surrender to him and we die to self, then we learn the joy and the excitement of living with passion for the kingdom of God. And my hope and prayer is that that's what you want for your life because I know that's what God wants for you in your life. Pray with me. Father, thank you for revealing to us the depth of your love for us. So close to this Easter and cross experience, we come today to realize this Sunday after Easter that Christ is still alive. He is Lord. The tomb is still empty and will remain that way. And in that, you call us to be your disciples and to live with passion, to love you with all that we are and all that we have, and then to love others as we love ourselves. Help us to realize we cannot do that until, first of all, we commit our life to you. 
And then we become a devout believer. As we die to self, let Christ live in us, and we find the excitement and joy that passion for your kingdom brings into our life. Father, may we find that passion. May we be committed to that with our faith in Christ. In his name I pray.